Hello and welcome back to A Reason for Hope. I am your host, Mario Costabile, and I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're new to us, welcome, and I'm happy that you found us. So this is our first episode for season two. Can you believe it? A whole season has gone by. We've had a lot of great success, and we're excited for this new season of A Reason for Hope. We've added some new segments, some new approaches to make it even more informative and inspirational. Our first season was full of exciting and motivational guests, and this season will not disappoint, I promise. And we even have a few surprises. Our guests this season will range from actors, to authors, to bishops, to musicians, to apologists, and even some sports figures. It's going to be really exciting. So subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so, or if you're a first-time listener, please hit the share button. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. These are the words of Jesus himself. He asks us to continue his work sharing the good news. You don't have to be a theologian or a public speaker or someone who professionally is involved in ministry. All you have to do is be a witness, be an example of what it means to be a Christian. Our guest today is Curtis Martin, the founder of Focus, and what a story he has. So welcome to A Reason for Hope, and here we go. So here we are, Dave, we're back for season two for Reason for Hope. I'm super excited to be back with you and sharing the faith. Yeah. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. We had a nice restful time off, right? Did you you chill out a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, We got some uh, good play out of some old episodes during the summer. Yeah, that's good. So thank you, Mariama, for throwing those out there. Yeah, yeah. She's got a spot in the new Reason for Hope. She does. Well, there's a little bit of a surprise that you gave away, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay. So, Dave, I know that uh, during the summer uh, this year, there's a lot of stuff that's going on in your life. Professionally, you've got a lot of changes. What's going on? Yeah, and actually, it's it's really interesting. Uh, after 20 years as the director of campus ministry at the high school that I teach at, mm-hmm. I've actually been at the high school for 24, but for 20 of those years, I was the director of campus ministry. That was running all the retreats, service programs, things like that. Um, I decided to step down from administrative work and go back into the classroom full time. Wow! And you know, teaching is where my heart's at. It's what it, it's what lights my fire. It's what it really gets me going. And and uh, when you're an administrator, you don't get to teach as much. So so I'm really excited about about being back in the classroom and just focusing on teaching theology to these wonderful students at my school. So that's that's great. You're in, you're sort of like back in your groove essentially. Yeah, I really feel that way. I and really a, feel that way. In a way, uh I mean, for you, I know your heart teaching is kind of like evangelizing, right? Letting yeah. these kids know about who God is. Uh it's actually the perfect segue because today's theme is everyday evangelization. And our guest is Curtis Martin, the founder of Focus, which is a pretty amazing mm-hmm. organization that is really on the uh Doing incredible sort of work. Yeah. ground floor, you know, grassroots kind of approach and really reaching young people. Uh maybe you can offer some general impressions about the challenges of evangelizing today. What do you think? Well, you know, when when I came to fully embrace the faith, 
it was a different world. And how I came to embrace that faith was really a powerful presentation, compelling presentation of the truth of the faith. So I grew up, I was always Catholic, but I wasn't all in Catholic until I became really convinced by going deeper and looking harder at the teachings of the church of their truth, that I was overwhelmed by that. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I had an intellectual conversion, but certainly coming to understand the truth of what the church taught was a huge part of me embracing the faith. Um, The thing is, we live in a culture now that really there's a crisis of truth. Um, With relativism so prevalent and people more insisting on whatever they feel is the truth as Mm -hmm. opposed to there being even an objective truth. Mm -hmm. It's amazing when I talk to the students, they don't even connect with the concept that there's an objective meaning of life. They feel that every individual makes their own meaning. And so how do you convince somebody of the truth of the Catholic faith when truth as an objective universal thing is that's not in their consciousness. Uh, so, so really, I think one of the challenges, at least in my work in evangelization, is that I've got to resist the temptation to evangelize as I was evangelized mm-hmm. because it's a different world and, different, and, and world. different things are going to, to mm-hmm. resonate that, that maybe wouldn't have resonated with me, mm-hmm. but things that resonated with me aren't going to resonate with this generation. Yeah. So I think that that's one important thing. We're living in this, I mean, it sounds like a crazy th- way of putting it, but almost living in what could be called a post-truth world, mm. you know? So I think that we have a, a real a real challenge on our hands with this generation because the typical forms of apologetics or presentation of the gospel uh, that that really seeks to, you know, engage not only the heart but the mind Mm. uh, fall flat generally today. Mm -hmm. And and people kind of recoil at it because it's like, well, you know, that's what you feel, but that's not what I feel is true. Yeah. You know, so. Well, you know, it is challenging, like you had said, that— you know, when you and I grew up, um, you know, uh, getting to know who Christ was or the culture was very different than w- the way uh, it is today. And I think w- I, in particular, the way Array of Hope is trying to evangelize is that we're trying to really get them to know who the person of Jesus Christ is. So essentially trying to make them understand that they need to um, have a desire to have a relationship with Christ. Um, I know that you and I kind of went back and forth on this quote that we heard, bring them to Christ first and then you'll bring them to the truth. Right. And um, in a way, I, I feel that that's where the culture is. If they can fall in love with Christ uh, and see the beauty of who Christ is, inadvertently they'll be more accepting of his teaching and the truth that he, you know, that he professes. Right. I don't disagree, although Jesus is the truth. That's right. You know, that's so, right. Um, but— but I think the reason why that can work, because people don't even know that they need Jesus. Mm. There's like this, there's no real sense that uh, among many that I meet that sometimes you meet people, they think life is just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're not even necessarily in touch with a deeper longing or need. Um, and so I think that what is significant is that human nature hasn't changed. Right. And so, because human nature hasn't changed, 
we still long for meaning in life, for authentic meaning in life. We still long for experiences of beauty, for example. I think we still long for truth. Uh, we still believe in justice. Uh, and I think, I think that this generation of, of young adults specifically are really driven by a sense of justice, mm. even if they don't understand what that fully means. Yeah. Um, and I think we also all long for connection and, and relationships and to, to enter into real intimate relationships with others. Well, and I think that that's important too, because I think that's what, that's why social media is such the thing. Yeah. I mean, like everybody's trying to get connected. Everybody's trying to be tapped into one another. Everybody wants to form relationships. Sure, sure. And, uh, and yet, even though social media may not bring the kind of relationships that really are the most fulfilling, I think that the phenomenon of social media speaks to our desire for connection. Mm -hmm. So I guess that because of all that, because there's still a longing for a meaning of life, for beauty, for truth on some level, for justice, for um, for connection, you know, Christianity has a lot to say mm -hmm. about all of those things. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that those are ways in to introducing Christ to people, that we could do what St. John Paul II said we should do is, is really tell people that it's Jesus who's the answer to the question that's every human life, mm -hmm. that, that all of our deepest longings are, are met in him, that, that the things that we want out of life really in this life without him are always going to become a disappointment. There's always going to be a disillusionment. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be a, a dissatisfaction. And and trying to draw that out so they can see the need for him. And then as they fall in love with him and they give themselves to him mm -hmm. because they find that meaning in him, that, that sense of love and connection with him, mm -hmm. um, the beauty of him, that's when they'll become more and more open to understanding the, the truths that the church presents mm -hmm. because they, they have to see all of those truths as connected to a relationship of love with him and being mm -hmm. loved by him. Otherwise, they're just like rules that don't seem to be intelligible. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as a, I guess as a practical tip, um, since uh, this generation is relational, you know, like, like we're sharing right now, how do we connect and um, sh show the beauty of that relationship with Christ? And I think, and what I've tried to do, is to be an example, right? To show and be as Christ-like as much as I can. So when right. they when they see that I'm trying to lead by example, um, it, it, the the they understand who I am as a person, and they're they hopefully respect that and are attracted to that and right. will inquire and be inquisitive, you know, what? why do you think this way? And the idea is that's when you have the opportunity because this, this episode is about evangelization, everyday evangelization. And I think that's what we can do. That's how we can everyday evangelize by just being Christ-like in every moment. And then it becomes apparent right. to the person that you're engaging with that, there's something here that's a little unusual, and that's how I feel that we can attract people toward Christ so there's a relationship with him. Right, and, and the gospel is going to spread by attraction. 
but but I think the thing that's important with that is that people we have to have an infectious joy. I think people have to see something in us that says, "Wow, what is what does he have? I'd like some." Right. 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 But it can't be it can't be saccharine and fake or Pollyannish, mm. uh, because I think that people recognize there's real suffering, yeah. there's real pain, there's real struggle and trial, and that's got to be acknowledged. So it can't seem like faith is some silliness that life can't be hard or isn't really difficult. You know, somebody even said to me just today, said, well, how's life going? I said, well, life is hard, but God is good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and yeah, so like life can be well, hard. Let, let me, you could evangelize through suffering. You can evangelize through the pain because people will see that you're going through a difficult time, but you're uh, still trying to um, uh, be connected to God and and allow him to carry your suffering, allow him to carry your burden. And people see that too, you know? So there's a peace in the pain. That's right. And it's not that the pain doesn't exist, Mm -hmm. but they see you have peace in the pain, and then they start to ask the question, why? Mm. How? Right. right. And and those are important questions mm-hmm. because then you get to say, well, it's because I know I'm loved. Yeah. Amen. Well, this is awesome. Uh, I love the conversation that we're having. I love uh, being back with you. In it's the, fun. In the groove. It's fun. In the room. In the room. This is sort of like our <laughs> new setup. Uh, hopefully, you guys online are enjoying it. Uh, we certainly are. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to the next time. Awesome. God All bless right. you, Mary. God bless you too, man. Hey guys, it's Mariama here for Who's That Saint, where I give you three clues on one saint for you to guess before the big reveal. Who's that saint? Here's the first clue. This saint was born on January 8th, 1894, and they had a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary when they were only 12 years old. This is what they wrote of the experience. That night, I asked the mother of God what was to become of me. Then she came to me holding two crowns, one white, the other red. She asked me if I was willing to accept either of these crowns. The white one meant that I should persevere in purity, and the red that I should become a martyr. I said that I would accept them both. Can you imagine being 12 years old and having Our Lady, first off, having anyone appear to you, but then having Our Lady appear to you and then ask you if you would accept a crown of purity and of martyrdom? All right. Are we ready for the second clue? Let's go. One year after the vision, this saint and their elder brother, Francis, joined the conventual Franciscans. In 1910, this saint was given the religious name that means the greatest. Now, one year after this vision means this saint was like 13 years old when they entered a religious order. Can you imagine being that sure of your vocation that young? That's how holy this saint is. So, who's that saint? Have I stumped you yet? Okay, are we ready for the last clue? This saint was alive during the Nazi occupation of Europe where he was arrested by the German Gestapo and taken into prison, eventually being transferred to Auschwitz. It was there that this saint 
won the crown of martyrdom by offering their life for that of another prisoner who was a father. A prisoner had allegedly escaped from prison, and as punishment, the Gestapo had said that they were going to take 10 random people to die. And so they lined up all of the men in this prison and just randomly chose people to die. They chose the man next to this saint in line. And because he knew that this man was a father and had a family, he instead stood out of line and offered himself in the place of this father. This saint died on August 14th in Auschwitz and was given the title of Martyr for the Faith. He was given a lethal injection of a poison in his veins that ended his life. Therefore, he is the patron saint of drug addicts, prisoners, families, and the pro-life movement. So, who's that saint? Are you ready to find out? Well, if you haven't guessed already, or if you had, this saint who I just described is Saint Maximilian Kolbe, the great Polish saint whose life was lived totally in service to the other. One of my favorite things about Saint Maximilian Kolbe is his love for the Blessed Mother and his unwillingness to back down from sharing the gospel even when his life was threatened. So may Saint Maximilian Kolbe intercede for us as we walk along our own paths of holiness. Thanks for playing Who's That Saint? I can't wait to bring you a new saint next episode. See you then. Ooh, who's that saint? Who's that saint? Hey everyone, this is Jack, a Ray of Hope's audio and music production director. Welcome to The Music Corner, where we talk about all things Array of Hope music. As we all know, music is such a powerful means of communication, especially when we offer our songs up to the Lord. Our music team's goal is to help inspire you in your life's journey with Jesus Christ. Over the past two years, we've been revamping the ministry's music division. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out our original music on your favorite streaming platform of choice, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Plus, we have so much new music on the way, and so be sure to follow our profiles to receive updates about this new music. Be sure to share it with your family and friends and add our songs to your personal playlists. I'd like to share with you a short clip of an unreleased song we've been working on called Do You Know? So in this time of the new evangelization, we find that many people, especially the younger generations, have forgotten or are even unaware of the love that God has for us. We wanted to address this in a song, and so we put together this contemporary pop dance track to speak to that younger audience that basically says, hey, do you know how much God loves you? Do you know that he's actually real? Do you know about the signs and the wonders that he worked at a specific place and time in world history to reveal to us that, yes, we are his beloved children. And if we place our trust in him, we can have an everlasting hope of an eternity of love and peace in the next life. So check it out. This is Do You Know. everybody we got some exciting news we have a whole new array of hope app and channel 
a video destination where everyone can find meaningful and inspiring videos and resources to help bring them closer to God. This is available on your desktop, Roku, Apple TV, iPhones and Android mobile phones and tablets. This channel has movies, short faith-filled segments, live events and programs. You've got to check it out. Go to your app store and type in Array of Hope. Our guest today is Curtis Martin. He is the founder and CEO of the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, FOCUS. FOCUS was founded in 1998 as a Catholic outreach to college students on campuses. Starting with just two missionaries on one campus, FOCUS now has hundreds of full-time missionaries serving tens of thousands of college students on campuses throughout the United States. FOCUS is working to play a vital role in the new evangelization called by St. John Paul II. Curtis Martin holds a master's degree in theology and is the author of one of the best-selling books, Made for More. Curtis and his wife, Michael Ann, live in Colorado. They have been blessed with nine children and six grandchildren. Let's welcome Curtis Martin. So, Curtis, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, it's a privilege and it's an honor to to get to meet you here on this podcast and on this video. And before we usually start with our guests, I really like to get to know a little bit about them and their background. So, uh, are you a cradle Catholic? Uh, what was the young Curtis like growing up? Uh, where did you grow up? Uh, were you did you grow up in a Catholic family? You know, give us a little bit sure. of background. Yeah, I, I think what's what would be rightly called a prodigal Catholic. So, I was okay. raised in a uh, Catholic home. Okay. A uh, very actively engaged Catholic mother, a father who's a convert to Catholicism. But about the time my dad was uh, finding his way into the church, I was drifting away from the church and was was gone, depending on how you say it, uh, for four or five years. You know, you, I, I, I drifted away. Uh, my, my personal life did not uh, correspond to a Christian's life. I had been poorly catechized, didn't know what I was doing. Uh, through mortal sin and and, and uh, breakdown of faith. Mm. By the time I realized there was a problem, I was pretty far away from God and decided I want to go away to college, uh, far away, and do a restart. And I, I didn't know what the restart meant. I had no idea, no spiritual North Star. I just wanted to restart, and I was I would have guessed that uh, Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church probably didn't have anything in it because I thought I'd already tried that. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I got to college, my sophomore year, I uh, met some evangelical Christians. I was on my, in my own personal life. I was at a place where I was reading a Bible that my mom had given me, and I was beginning to think Jesus is probably the answer. And so I recommitted my life to Christ as a sophomore in college, a powerful conversion, several years actively involved with evangelicals. But because of the gifts and tools they gave me, a life of prayer, a, a commitment to the scriptures, I found myself being led back to the Catholic Church. Hmm. Years ago, I was asked to speak to that group of evangelicals said, why did you become Catholic again? And I said, well, it's a Bible verse you taught me. <laughs> in the great, Jesus says, go and teach them all that I've commanded you. I learned from you much of what he commanded. The Catholic Church is the all. And um, that's the fullness of faith. So here I am back now for 30 years as a uh, God willing, deeply committed Catholic, still Amen. striving to Christ. Amen. So you shared about a, a deep conversion or an experience you had. Maybe, you know, you could share with us, what was that experience? What was, how did God, you know, touch your heart? How did he reveal to you uh, his beauty, his love? What was that like? 
Yeah, you know, I as I said, the contrast was the deeper darkness that was in my soul in my life because uh, as modern as many modern people, we buy the lie that the world offers that earthly goods are going to make you happy, whether they're morally neutral or morally problematic. Uh, the earthly goods are like salt water. They don't satisfy. They actually deepen the craving. And so by the time I was a sophomore in college, I was hungry. Started reading the Bible. And, you know, I was really spending my life doing my homework, going to class, doing my homework, and spending hours a day playing basketball <laughs> so that I wouldn't get into the party scene because I knew that's not where I was going to find happiness. Started reading the Bible, and all of a sudden, I started coming home from basketball a little earlier every day. And I began to remember that as a young person, I had been fascinated with Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I want to learn more about him now as a, as a young adult. And then one day, uh, I'm in the Gospel of Luke, and I'm just riveted. I'm not a great reader. I had dyslexia as a child. And so reading is kind of a task for me. But, and it happens probably for you all the time. It does for most good readers. As you read, you, you almost see a video rather than the words on the page. That hardly yeah. ever happened to me. Uh -huh. But I'm, I'm in the video. I'm reading, and I'm like, there's Jesus. And I'm imagining his facial expressions and, and his tone of voice. And all mm. of a sudden, I read Luke chapter 6, verse 46. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Mm. And you don't say but in my imagination, there was an extra word in there. It was Curtis. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Do what I say. I literally dropped the Bible on the desk. I felt like I had been punched in the gut. I had no response, but I felt like I'd just been called out by the greatest person who ever lived. If you'd asked me, do I think Jesus is God? I probably would have said, yeah. But if you'd watched me, you would never have guessed that I thought he was God because I called him Lord, but didn't do what he said. And uh, it, that led to several weeks of what do I do? Mm. And that's when I met the evangelicals and I, the great advice that I would say still is, is pertinent as a Catholic was talking to evangelical. I said, I'm trying to get my life straightened up so that I can follow Jesus Christ. And he said, Curtis doesn't work that way. Give your life to Jesus Christ that's and beautiful. he will help you get straightened up. The relationship awesome. has to come first. And so I did, I fell on my knees. Don't remember the exact words, but essentially prayed the, uh, the prayer of the prodigal son. Dad, I, I blew it. Mm -hmm. Please let me go. And that started a, a, a spiritual renewal uh, that was beautiful and wonderful. And eventually, after several years, uh, would lead to a second deep conversion where I began to recognize Jesus, not only in the scriptures uh, and in my heart, but also in the Blessed Sacrament. And uh, that led me back to the Catholic Church. That's, that's beautiful. Uh, we have a lot of common uh, uh, things. I mean, I'm dyslexic as well. I have trouble reading. Uh, and the evangelicals sort of led me back as well. You know, I'm a musician, a filmmaker by trade, and I fell in love with the way they actually evangelize in that beautiful, big way. Uh, but yeah. I, too, later discovered that what was lacking were the sacraments and the healing and the grace that the sacraments give us. And, that, and that's beautiful, Curtis. Um, so when you got out of um, college, I mean, obviously, you didn't jump into focus. Focus in, in form. Focus. Did you have a prior life? Did you, uh, you know, did you have another profession? I'm trying to get an idea of how yeah. you were inspired to start Focus and where that came from. Yeah. So life before Focus. So as an evangelical, I, I gave my life to Christ in October, my sophomore year. Uh, I went home. So I was in school at LSU, Louisiana. Went home to my hometown in Ventura, California, and uh, wasn't prepared to be home again. And I fell into all my bad habits. So I got back to campus in, in January and I thought maybe my conversion was bogus. I mean, I, I thought it was on fire October, November, early December, and then Jan mm. late December, devastating. And I actually missed Bible study the, the, next, the next week. And the guy led my Bible study, chased me down and he says, what's up? 
And I said, I really don't want to talk about it. And he goes, no, what's up? And, uh, and so I kind of made a confession without the detail. And uh, he said, you know, Curtis, it happens. It's this terrible thing that happened, but maybe it's a great thing because now you'll know you got to get ready for summer. And uh, so I spent this next spring getting uh, semester getting ready for summer. And when I got home, I launched a weekly Bible study. And there were 75 people that were coming every week. And that first year after graduation, I literally had my return, my conversion back to Catholicism in front of them on a weekly basis because I'm reading the Bible and I'm realizing it's not enough to believe that the Bible is true. All of my Protestant brothers and sisters believe the Bible is true. We all agree that it's true. What does it mean? How do I know that when Jesus says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's mm. not speaking purely? How do I know that? Right. And, 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 you know, the parable of seeds. Why are there four seeds? Why is there a seed that sprung to life and mm -hmm. then fell away? I thought if once you were saved, you were always saved. Why is that seed there? And, and I needed something more, and I realized I need tradition. What, mm -hmm. what did the apostles teach? What did the first Christians believe? It's much more likely that Ignatius of Antioch knew the right way to interpret John's gospel. He knew John. than that I was going to guess it, or, or some guy I was going to school was going to guess the right version, when there was controversy. And so I began to realize I had to humble myself and not just to believe that the Bible was true, but to seek the true meaning of what the true words say. And I was having this conversion in front of them, and a number of the evangelicals that were coming every week, some were Catholic, some were evangelicals, a number of the evangelicals converted as well. Uh, <laughs> awesome. walk so that Bible study went on for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, by that time I had met my wife. She literally showed up one night uh, to the Bible study. We met at the Bible study I was leading. God made a home delivery. And um, <laughs> we met for love, uh, got married. And the first year we were married, met a guy by the name of Scott Hahn. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And, uh, Mike Mann and I had been talking since before we were married about launching a Catholic apostolate for young people. There's a Catholic church within walking distance of every college in America. Sometimes they're right on the campus, but college students don't walk to it anymore. So we have to walk to them. Mm -hmm. Could we launch an apostolate? There were great evangelical groups, Campus Crusade for Christ, Navigators, InterVarsity, but there wasn't a Catholic program. And so we met Scott Hahn. He gave a talk. He wasn't famous at the time. Hadn't released his famous conversion tape. But he was speaking to a relatively small group. And, and I had been searching for somebody to study with. And Mike Leanne leaned over and said, this could be the guy. What a blessing. And, wow. uh, so we uh, we walked up after the talk and waited in line. And usually in that situation, I would say, hi, Dr. Hahn. My name is Curtis Martin. It's my wife, Michael Ann. But this time, Michael Ann kind of steps in forward and says, hey, Dr. Hahn, this is, we're the Martins, and my husband, Curtis, has been called by Jesus Christ to launch a Catholic campus crusade for Christ, which was not words I would have ever used. <laughs> and Scott said, whoa, come to Steubenville. I just accepted a, a new pos position there. I don't teach there yet, but I'll be there next fall. Come to Steubenville. I'll mentor you and help you do that. And that was the seed for focus to say, could we do this? I needed the theological background that Scott and others helped me to, to acquire. How do you launch something new in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the body of Christ. And when something new is introduced to a body, body tends to reject it. Mm. And so how do you do that? And so Archbishop Shapu and other great friends also Beautiful. who I was introduced to helped to get focus started. And it's been great. 22 years, yeah. year over year growth every year, including this year coming out of COVID, uh, more campuses, more students. Amazing. And what started with two part-time missionaries, uh, Mario, and now a thousand full-time staff, Tens of thousands of students involved in the program, hundreds of thousands of people haven't been impacted. 
It's just beautiful. And it's not us. We, we have a model given to us by Jesus and we fail to execute on that model every day. And he blesses us anyway. It's all Jesus. I'm sure things have changed now over the 22 years. I mean, it seems that our culture, our world today, um, really is rejects God. Uh, it's almost like God is void or God's a taboo. So is it harder now to um, get a young person, a young adult, uh, to seek God or seek his teachings of the Catholic Church? Uh, I'm sure things have changed. Can you re- share, share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah dramatically. And, and at the same time, you know, circumstances change, but human nature doesn't change. And what, what, what St. Augustine said so many years ago is still true. Our, our hearts are restless till they rest in God. And that restlessness is agitated more now than ever before. You know, if you were a wayward adolescent in the 1200s, uh, you didn't have the internet to distract you. You didn't have, you know, all kinds of, of tr- troubles that we have today that are wild distractions. And, and all of the competing worldviews. Yeah, temptation, which we all still have. So mm-hmm. in that sense, it's a crazy time. Uh, Christianity as a way of thinking is evaporating. As my good friend, Monsignor James Shea, the, uh, the uh, president of You Mary, just wrote in a great little booklet, From Christendom to Apostolic Christianity, Christendom, the reality that our institutions support a Judeo-Christian view, is dying. And while that's painful because we've relied upon those institutions. It's not all bad news because Christianity actually was birthed in an apostolic period and we Mm -hmm. actually flourished in an apostolic period. An apostolic period is much more likely to produce saints. Um, And and, uh, and, and so there's some real good news here, but it's it's a painful transition. And so, yeah, there's a lot of people who um, compared to two generations ago, uh, would probably still be Catholic, but today they've walked away because there's lots of other options. And we've got to go get them. I mean, focus is a search and rescue mission. And we, I believe the church is supposed to be a search and rescue mission. And so the complications, you know, when we started 22 years ago, probably the big moral issue of the day was abortion. And it's still a massive issue. But the, the majority of college students today actually are not in favor of abortion. We're actually winning that argument. But all the gender issues have now exploded in, in homosexuality and, and those have dramatically shifted. And, um, and so, but the issue is the same here. We're, we're going to invite young people to experience deep conversion in Christ. We're going to invite them to a life of sacraments and prayer. And then we're going to send them out as team on, as teams onto college campuses to share their life with others. And friendship dissolves these differences. It doesn't matter whether you were thinking about having an abortion or you're questioning your your uh, orientation. Uh, if you've got a friend who loves Jesus Christ, they're not going to think you're a bigot. They're going to think you're their friend. And by the tens of thousands, we're out with people who are in sin. We're in sin. We're sinners. And we're out with people in sin. And we're loving them first because, as St. Paul tells us in Romans, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He mm. loved us first. So we need to love them first. So we go out and love them. You love them. Uh, and we're not a chastity program, although people are embracing chastity by the tens of thousands mm-hmm. because we are we're a Christian, a Christ-centered organization. And so we, we always say, you know, we're not there to make them chase. We're there to help them meet Jesus. Jesus will invite them to be chased, and he's way better at it than we are. And so we're watching thousands and tens of thousands of people embrace chastity and embrace vocations. This year, uh, we'll mark the period where we'll go over 1,000 religious vocations through focus in the last 22 years. 
Um, just amazing to watch. And we're not a vocations program. We're an evangelization program, introducing people to Jesus and he does the work. And so that part, the circumstances have changed relatively dramatically, but the approach is relatively similar. Uh, experience deep conversion in Christ, live the sacraments in prayer, and then go love people who don't yet uh, uh, have an experience of conversion in Christ. And they will be drawn because what we have to offer is simply so much more attractive than anything the world has to offer. There, Earth, the world offers uh, excitement and, and, and fun, promising happiness, and it doesn't deliver. We offer uh, true lasting value in life and everlasting joy and we deliver on our uh, on our promises. Amen. Amen. Sounds really attractive. That's beautiful. Um, uh, so, you know, speaking about evangelization, uh, today's episode is actually called Everyday Evangelization. And I know that you recently wrote a book called Foundations for Discipline, a uh, discipleship rather, Foundations for right. Discipleship. Uh, why did you choose that title? And how does this book help Catholics evangelize today? Yeah, and uh, thanks for bringing it up. I had a great, uh, good fortune to work. Really, it's a result of 20 years, 20 plus years of work, uh, primarily with my dear friend, Dr. Edward Sri, but also with, with dozens of our staff members. And it represents really the best practices of the last 22 years. And what we've realized is uh, something that was reaffirmed by a, a friend of mine by the name of Christian Smith. Christian Smith is a sociologist who works at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. And a very faithful man, and he scientifically knows pe young people better than anybody from a Christian perspective. And I was with Christian not too long ago, maybe two or three years ago, and he said, uh, you're going to love my new book. And I said, why? And he goes, we interviewed hundreds of families, uh, many hundreds, over a thousand, and we found three groups. Well, first group, those who've raised children who all left the faith. Second group, those who raised children who some stayed, some didn't stay. And, and then the third group, they, we raise kids, and they all are still committed Catholics. For the sake of sociology, we removed the middle group and went and talked to the two groups who had experienced great failure and great success. And, what, and we said, what did you do? And we asked them hundreds of questions. And Curtis, one answer, one answer came to the top more than anything else. There were many, many positive things. It was great that they had meals together. It was great that they prayed together, that they went to Mass every Sunday, all kinds of good practices. One practice, when you do it, your kids stay Catholic 100% of the time, and when you don't, they don't. But I'll tell you right now, those parents who had spiritual conversations with their children on a regular basis mm. raised practicing Catholics. And the foundations in discipleship, it was such a reaffirmation because we didn't use the same terminology, mm -hmm. but I would argue that our activity and focus that we've been calling discipleship um, is actually the habit of fostering spiritual conversations. We've been doing it for mm. 22 years. And so this past year, Dr. Sri and I, along with a great team of, of focused missionaries, distilled the best and most effective conversations that we've formulated. This is a book a little bit unlike most books you read. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not meant to be read by yourself. You can read it that way if you want to, but it's meant to just sit down with your friends. You don't have to read it ahead of time. And just read it. You take the first paragraph, I'll take the second. And you finish in 10 minutes or so, 12 minutes of reading, and then have a spiritual conversation about what you just read. Uh, you mentioned in the book, uh, Little Way of Evangelization. Uh, maybe you could share that a little bit. You know, you know we, we were looking, and I've been just st studying uh, Jesus's model for evangelization. And, and uh, we tend to focus rightly on what I would call the big way. 
Jesus working miracles and feeding the thousands and speaking to the thousands and, and raising people from the dead. And, and that's amazing. And, and throughout the centuries of the church, different Catholics have had those gifts. St. Anthony of Padua worked thousands of miracles. Uh, St. John Paul uh, preached to millions, not just thousands. Um, and so different Catholics have been given the big way. And, and I, we always say, if you, if you have somebody, if you work miracles, go for it and be really generous. Um, if you're a priest and you can read souls and hear confessions, be generous and sit in the confessional for a lot of hours. So great. And the big way is amazing. But the fact of the matter is not all of us, in fact, probably not even most of us are called to the big way. Mm -hmm. But everyone's called to the little way. And I would argue that Jesus also did that. In fact, he spent most of his time doing that. And so while Jesus was preaching to the multitudes and healing people and raising people from the dead, his other project was to find 12 guys and go camping for three years. He just loved these 12 guys in a crazy sort of way. I and mean, when you think about it, Mario, just he's got to reach the entire world, all of the world, all over the world, for all the centuries, Adam all the way to the second coming, he's got to reach them all. And his strategy is to have a three-year public ministry and to spend almost all of his time with only 12 people. And even when he was with the 5,000, the 12 were right there. Mm -hmm. But between those things, as he walked, as he, as, as he talked, as he ate, the 12 were there. And our whole point is, I actually think that's the fundamental model of evangelization. Find a few and invest deeply. Love them powerfully. Become friends with them. Have spiritual conversations with them. Be intentional with them. Talk to them about getting to heaven and helping other people to get to heaven. Accept them and forgive them when they stumble and fall. To be able to work with them. And that we talk about is the little way of evangelization. Jesus never let the big way get in the way of the little way. He always, when he was in the midst of his big way, his disciples right there with him. And so we are all in on this model of discipleship. Jesus did not say, go make believers of all nations. He said, go make disciples of all nations. Disciples live under the discipline of the life of the, of the person they're being discipled by, by Jesus Christ. Amen. That's that's wonderful. And you know, Curtis, I've I never I bumped into you a couple of times on, at Seek yeah. and was introduced to you. Uh, but I I love your fervor. I love your excitement. I commend you and your work with Focus and uh, organizations such as ours because I really firmly believe that the church really needs us uh, and really needs us to to share and evangelize in in many of the ways that we discussed today. So, Kurt, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. God bless you and your work, and be well. Mario, great to be with you and all of your listeners and viewers. It's it's fantastic to be with you. Thanks for your great work. And I look forward to, I think we're going to see each other in just a couple of weeks. Yeah. Amen. So we've come to the end of our first episode for our latest season. How much fun was this? It's so exciting to get back into the routine and doing these podcasts. And listen, I want to remind you to please share this with as many people as possible. The more people that hear the gospel, the more souls can be saved. I want to thank our donors and supporters without whom this podcast would not be possible. And if you choose and if you're inspired to donate, please go to our Array of Hope website and click on the donate page. Also, stay in touch with us throughout the week on social media where we keep you engaged through our music, our videos, and daily reflections. There's so much stuff to share with you all the time. And listen, we're so excited about this channel and app. This is a great resource. You got to check it out and subscribe. Lastly, I want to let you know that we pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet on Instagram live every day at 3 p.m. 
please join us where we can join the Universal Church collectively praying for one another and praying the chaplet. Our guest next time will be Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Now, this guy is so much fun. You got to check it out. You do not want to miss this episode. I want to thank my co-producer and co-host, Dr. David Heideck, Mariama Rolden for that Who's That Saint segment, and our engineer, Jack Garno, for putting this all together and his insight on the Array of Hope music team. That was a lot of fun adding these two guys to the podcast. Lots going on here at Array of Hope. So listen, thank you so much for joining us today. And there's always a reason for hope. This is Mario Costabile. Until next time, peace. Cause hope can last forever.